Is it feast or famine for your agency right now? In my conversations with agency leaders on this podcast, in LinkedIn comments and DMs, on one-on-one calls, and in several in-person conversations a few weeks back at Inbound, I'm hearing a consistent theme. It seems like agencies like yours are saying one thing or the other. It's either feast or famine. There don't seem to be too many that are telling me their growth is somewhere in the middle ground right now. Will that trend continue? Is it something that's broader than just what I'm hearing? I don't know, but we'll keep exploring that on this show from here. For now, we're going to dive into a specific situation with Joe Sullivan and his agency, Gorilla76, in today's episode. He and his co-founder, John, lead their team of 29 full-time employees in a marketing agency focused on the industrial and manufacturing sector. Actually, they niche down further than that, and I think there's a lesson there, but I won't spoil that takeaway from today's episode just yet. At the moment, Joe, John, and their team are experiencing that feast season I mentioned earlier. They're having to tell clients they can't start working with them for several months. Yeah, I said months, even if they're ready to sign and start today. It is a good problem to have for sure, but one that they've still got to solve and aim for what Joe refers to as managed growth. In this conversation, Joe shares what they've been doing that's likely leading to this increased demand for their services, the tools they use as a leadership team to spot issues like this, for instance, growing too fast or too slow, ahead of time and proactively address them before they fester. Hint, Joe's team are big believers in some EOS tools that we use here at Teamwork.com as well. And finally, some specific recommendations on how to avoid burning out your team during times of high growth growth and when dealing with demanding clients. To start, let's hear from Joe about when he noticed this trend beginning towards demand exceeding supply for their agency and when he realized they needed to be very intentional about managing growth from there. We start every client relationship or engagement the exact same way. We go through a road mapping process to kind of figure out, do the discovery work, figure out a strategy you know, get the action plan down before we go into any implementation. And so we are usually telling, traditionally, we've been telling prospects, we're booking these about two to four weeks out, just to give us enough time to collect some materials ahead of time to, you know, get ourselves set, get every, everybody's calendars aligned, etc. But sometime kind of mid-year this year, uh, it's probably early summer, June or so, you know, four months ago, something like that. We, you know, two to four weeks turned in, into me saying, Okay, we're booking these like four to six weeks out and then it was two months out. And now we're at a place where we're booking, you know, I'm telling people January, maybe even February to run a roadmap. So we're probably four months out right now. And, you know, what one thing that you know is maybe I don't know if this is unique about my agency or not, but you know, we, we don't have a huge volume of clients. We're not a you know, we're running with probably 20, 25 clients at once max. We're about a 30 person agency and you know, we have bigger engagements with our clients. I'm willing to start with one new client per month, max. That's sort of like where we're at right now. We want that to change in the future if we can really generate enough demand for that to be possible. But I'm tr- always trying to find the balance between how am I optimizing revenue and profitability for my company and not 
burning out my people and like putting more on them than they can handle, which, you know, we see that come out in all kinds of different ways when we know we're pushing too hard. And so it's a, this is a new problem for us. It's, you know, we, we got to find this balance If somebody's ready to write you a check and start tomorrow. And you say, well, I could start you four months from now. Like that creates a new set of problems. So. Yeah. And I want to get into, as we get further into the conversation, how you guys are solving that some, and as you've told me offline, like, look, I don't know if I have the perfect playbook for this, but I'm willing to share some of the things we're thinking about trying what has worked so far, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. But before we get to that, how, you know, as Simon Sinek says, always start with why my question is, why do you think you guys are seeing more feast than famine right now? What are some of the things as you and your co-founder have been looking at this period where, hey, even though in a lot of sectors things are tightening up, we are doing uh, better than we have in other times. As you mentioned, you've seen various cycles throughout the many years you guys have been running the agency. What are some of the things you guys think uh, either externally or internally have been contributing to this good problem to have? And then we'll talk about how you guys are trying to solve it. Certainly. And, you know, I'll preface this with saying, you know, we could be in a bubble here for ourselves. This could be, there could be some element of chance to this in, in terms of why this is happening right now, but I don't believe that's the case. And I really, it feels almost obvious to me that it's a product of playing the long game. We have always, or for many, many years, been advocates of publishing our expertise consistently, building audience not asking for too much in return. So, you know, I look at the the decisions we've made over the last three years from our own marketing ourselves, you know, along with your help, Logan, I, I launched my podcast, The Manufacturing Executive, about almost three and a half years ago at this point. It's been running 175 straight weeks without missing a week, which I'm proud of. That has helped me build sort of a, a presence in the manufacturing sector in a new way in the, you know, kind of content-based networking methodology of, of interviewing the types of people I need to reach and influence rather than just sharing my expertise. But then we launched a second podcast, you know, a year and a half later that was all highlighting our own team's expertise. And that picked up a lot of steam really fast. Around the same time or a little earlier, actually, we launched what we call Industrial Marketing Live. This is a every other week live event for marketers in the manufacturing sector and we teach for 20 minutes and then we bring people up on stage and answer questions and people collaborate and it's turned into a recorded show that gets spit out into that other podcast. We're seeing 90, 100 people show up every other week consistently now. And we have a Slack community of 225 people that's super active. It's not one of these Slack communities where it's just dead. It's like I go in there and there's conversations happening. We're facilitating a community of manufacturing marketing people. That's just been building organically. We're, you know, we're adding people constantly to it. We launched a third podcast. It was targeting a third persona in manufacturing. So now we have a show for manufacturing executives, which is my show. We have a show for manufacturing marketers, which is very tactical and focused on teaching. And we have the manufacturing employer, which is targeting sort of the HR person and helping them, you know, interviewing people who care solving the the labor shortage problem that is plaguing the industrial sector and frankly, a lot of sectors right now. But all of this is like, all we've been doing is just building our audience, building authority and trust in the manufacturing sector where we do all of our work. Side by side with that, I have probably eight or 10 of the 30 people on my team that are publishing unique, thoughtful, you know, content on LinkedIn, 
between three and five times a week. And some of them are flying by me in terms of follower count and engagement with their posts. And the impact of that is, is all very clear. You know, we do the simple like refined labs recommends the, how'd you hear about us question in your forms? And we are like, okay, that's a no brainer. We implemented that. Almost everybody who fills out that form, regardless of what HubSpot tells us in terms of their, the lead source, almost everybody says something like, I've been listening to Joe's podcast for two years and now we're looking for an agency. So I'm reaching out to you first, or uh, I've been following your strategy, your director, Grace Wright, and your senior strategist, Brendan Forrest on LinkedIn and everything they say is really resonating. And we're looking for some help with our marketing, or I've been attending industrial marketing live and learning from your team. And now I want to apply what you're teaching. Like this, this is what they all say. And so it's, it's almost obvious why this is happening right now. It's the investments in the long game that have we've been making for, the last three years that are are starting to bear fruit. Oh man, there is so much good stuff there. Obviously I love hearing the further that you guys have gone down the podcasting route and that you didn't kind of make a typical mistake. I see a lot of brands make, whether you're an agency or not, trying to make a, a show for anyone and everyone and try and reach those different personas. You guys are doing it the right way to do it with different content channels, in this case, different shows. And obviously investing in your personal brands, I think especially within an agency where the people are the product. It just helps you so much. And you have an opportunity unique to an agency, I think, where the investment in those personal brands can actually yield even more. I mean, I recently stepped into an evangelism role. So that sort of motion is near and dear to me mm-hmm. for B2B brands. But I think for agencies, there's there's just as much opportunity, if not more. The other thing that you know stood out to me there, and then we'll kind of get into the what are you guys doing with this greater demand and optimizing the client experience in your sales process. Last week we had on Sam Shepler from Testimonial Hero, and he was saying that when you when you niche down when it comes to your services, when you kind of productize them and you focus on a specific application, a specific problem, and a specific solution, it allows you to build from there very easily. So for instance, they started doing video testimonials. That led to doing LinkedIn video ads as kind of just a, a build on from there. I hear the same thing that you're saying, Joe, when you guys have focused really well in niching down in the manufacturing space, which others have rightfully called out as a great example of an agency not trying to be all things to all people. Pete Caputa gave you guys a really nice shout out on LinkedIn the other day. By doing that, even in your content, you guys are kind of doing that stacking thing that I heard Sam say with their services at Testimonial Hero. They got real focused and then they were able to expand and build on something. You're doing the same thing with your content with the manufacturing executives, then the marketers, now the HR folks, and it allows it to be so much more powerful. So those were just a few things that stood out to me as, as you were talking there. This conversation though, Joe, that we're talking about of, you know, as an agency, do we have more demand than we have supply? right? We don't necessarily have the hours on the shelf, but we're seeing more demand versus maybe it's more famine. We've got the supply, we've got people on the team, but we don't see the demand. They each have their own sets of challenges, but I'll pose the same thing to you that I asked Megan Bowen previously on our webinar series on agency life. Which do you think is harder and and which would you rather have? Because it's always that balancing act within an agency where you don't want to be overloading your people, but you don't want to be turning away business either. How do you think about that at a high level, man? Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely prefer that demands exceed supply. I mean, this is a new this is a new problem for us to have 
it exceeding supply by as much as it is. You know, we've kind of you, you go up and down in both directions sometimes as an agency, I think, and especially when you know there are a lot of agencies whose model is is more. You know, you've got your strategy people in house, and you're outsourcing a lot of the individual skill sets. And I think that's a really smart model for some reasons. Our model is, you know, we've got 29 full time employees that are on salary, and so you got to really find that balance between keeping people busy, so you're not carrying all this overhead, but also not burning them out, and your best people walk out the door. But you know, if I had to pick one, I'd clearly rather pick where I am now because I, there's more that you can control. If we if we had a staff of 29 and we only had, you know, everybody's at using 40% of their capacity, like we're going to have major, major problems in, in financial problems. And if, if we can't solve that problem really fast and then you're faced with having to make decisions about letting people go or whatever that looks like. Me and John, my business partner, not getting paid on time or at all. And you know, we've been in those positions over our 17-year history for short periods of time. And that's really, really hard. And it's really hard to sleep at night when that's going on. The other side of the coin, or and the reason I can sleep at night, despite the fact that this is you know still a challenge, is that when the demand for your services exceeds your supply, it lets you make very strategic decisions about how to evolve your agency. So, you know, what are the conversations we're having right now? Because I know that I can't continue to tell people, well, it's four months out, it's five months out. I mean, it's, you know, if this keeps piling on, that's only sustainable for, for so long. So the conversations we're having internally now are things like, okay, it's probably time to raise pricing. You know, let's think about if we're maybe just not charging enough for our services or if we can you know, afford to charge more and, you know, realize some some better margins than what we've been seeing the last few years. How do we start refining our ideal customer profile? We've done that a lot over the years. I mean, there was a time when we served and we served B2B companies, right? In, in other words, the entire business world. And over, you know, in probably 10, 12 years ago, we, we niched down into kind of American manufacturing. And since then, we've niched down into manufacturers that sell, you know, heavily engineered equipment that costs $500,000 or more and have committees of buyers and long sales cycles. And like, there's a very specific type of manufacturer that we're best at working with, but we can niche down even further. And now you move out of just demographic and firmographic characteristics into things like what's the mindset of the CEO? Does that person give us the time of day? Does he or she let us do our job or are we looked at as order takers, right? Like there are psychographic characteristics of companies that we're going to start looking a lot harder at. And we're running an analysis even across our current clients with a whole bunch of data points, some of them objective, some of them more subjective, but to identify like what are the patterns among the, the companies that we have had three, four, five year relationships with and we love working with them. And how do we go chase down companies and target companies that fit that a little bit better? That's really interesting, man. Uh, previously, we had Jackie Hermes on from Accelity, mm -hmm. and we were talking about what do you do when you need to fire a client? And we actually spent more than 30 minutes on that podcast episode here on the show talking about how do you avoid getting to that point? And she brought up mm. the same thing of getting super narrow with your ICP, even down to those psychographic pieces. And you know, while that's all well and good, there may be a lot of people, if you're listening to this, you might be like, yeah, 
but I haven't quite had that luxury yet. I haven't found that good mm-hmm. time. So if you are finding yourself similar to Joe and his team now, you know, it might be a good time now to drill into that. Cause I hadn't even thought about that, Joe, you're kind of looking at this influx of new clients that are raising their hands, they're signing and you're having to tell them, wait, wait, wait. The thing that you could do is just look at how do we manage this as opposed to hold on, let's step back. Let's look at these new clients, but let's also look at our current client base and Maybe we don't necessarily want to keep this client that, you know, as I've heard Drew McClellan say, is that like gorilla client that leads us around by the nose and they've been around for a while. They're maybe not paying our our current Mm -hmm. premium prices, those sorts of things, because you see by looking at those psychographics, like this client's really going to be good. They're going to stick with us for a long time. They're going to be okay with that higher price. And we're actually going to go to this other client and say, hey, upon renewal, it is going to go up 20%, knowing that they're probably going to say no thanks, but you've done the math kind of, again, zooming out, not just trying to figure out the new client problem, but your entire portfolio of clients. Is that fair to say and kind of how you guys are approaching it, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. And your timing's good because we literally four hours ago, I initiated an email to a client that was about, let's have a conversation, but here's what the conversation is going to be about. And we're going to fire that client. And it's, we would not have had the luxury of being able to proactively do that. This is a client that's we've been struggling with. They were just not aligned. They had a leadership change and we're going in different directions and that's fine. They're good people. Like, but what we do, what they need aren't really aligned anymore. And it's causing a lot of frustration and burnout with my team. And I'm like, this is not worth it. Why are we continuing down a path with a client that's killing my team right now? Our margins are thin because we're having to rework so much stuff. And, you know, when you've got a line of people who want to start with you, like, why am I going to continue working with a, a client that just isn't the right fit? So again, these are new problems. I haven't been operating this way for very long, but when you're in that position and if you can do the work to put yourself in that position, these are really nice decisions that you can make as opposed to those decisions, you know, just being made for you or being out of your, out of your control. So good, man. So let's talk a little bit about how you guys are managing this problem that, as you've said a mm-hmm. couple of times, is, is somewhat new to you guys because what you want to do is not make sure that a good problem to have just turns into a bad problem to have. Like, like you said, if you just keep telling people four months out, then eventually they're going to say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Like, we really like you guys, Joe. We've been in your community, but like that's just not feasible for us. We need to make a business decision. So you mentioned that your new client experience always starts with that roadmap process. I'm sure you guys have well-documented and repeatable handoffs from from sales to your delivery team. What about the tactics of of that approach or even backing up and how you guys are having the sales conversation before you get into that handoff? Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you guys are evaluating, maybe things that you've tweaked or changed given the current situation that's different than what has been the status? as well. Yeah, really good question and good timing again. We so we run on EOS at Gorilla, as I'm sure many listeners are familiar with at least, because it's I know it's really popular in the agency world. We've been on it for about three years. But we've got it, we came out of our quarterly strategic session last Friday, headed into Q4, and and two of the rocks are our sort of major milestones for those un, unfamiliar major projects that we're going to tackle over this, this next quarter relate to this exact topic. I'm in charge of one of them and our strategy director Grace owns another one. But a couple of things that we're gonna work on here, you know, talking about Grace's first, we're 
we are perfection. We're a lot of perfectionists at Gorilla. We like, you know, doing things the exact way we want to do it and having process for everything. And it, it hurts us in a lot of cases. And we're aware of this. And it was a good revelation that, you know, over the last year or so I realized, okay, we need to get a little more agile, a little more, you know, just adaptable to uh, what are the way our clients want to work or just, but anyway, so we're, so we're taking a really hard look at how we start our process with clients. We think that the roadmap process that we've been using might be a little bloated. It might be more than we need to deliver. It might not be. We also used to use that roadmap. I think this is an important point. We used to use that roadmap as rather than, hey, client, you need to buy this service from us and you're on retainer for the next 12 months, which is how we used to operate years back. It's let's do this roadmap together. Let us earn your trust. Let us show you that we are strategic thinkers and we know how to get you from A to B, or we can help you figure out how to get from point A to point B. And you're going to go in and buy this $10,000 strategy project from us. And then from there, we'll, we're going to figure out you know what implementation looks like. And it was a really nice lever for us to get people in the door talking about the right things and thinking about strategy first without having to commit long-term. Well, we don't really need that right now. We need... because. Everybody knocking on my door is ready to go now. And that's a different feeling than when I was trying to convince people to work with me and therefore let's just do this roadmap and test the waters together first. Now it's, no, 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 I want to hire you and it's time to go. Like we want to start tomorrow. And I'm like, well, we got to go through this roadmap in four months so that we can start implementation in five months. And so we're think, rethinking all that. We're saying, well, if people are ready to go, why are we forcing them through a process that probably is a little bit bloated? And so that that's one one place. And then the other thing we're starting to sort of reevaluate, which is what I'm sort of in charge of right now, is how we manage that, that queue. Right. And so how do we sort of optimize, like, what is that ideal amount of time that I can tell somebody is the wait list, right? Four to five months is too long. It's that's where we're at right now. And it's too long. We've lost some opportunities because of it and not surprisingly. Right. But having companies in our queue is a good thing because, you know, if somebody needs to end their relationship, if we feel the need to end a relationship with a client, it's, it's okay. Now let's move move the queue up, right? It also allows you to play with a scarcity a little bit and kind of yeah. that, that premium of you're having those sales conversations and you can mm-hmm. not feel or <laughs> smell so desperate as we can sometimes. And we're trying to close that new client for the agency because yeah. you know that you have this and you can confidently say, look, I've got two slots and I've got five clients who are pretty close to signing up and you can leverage that. You don't want to over leverage it. And so I think you're describing it well as if there's that sweet spot in the middle. There is. And that has worked really nicely for us. Honestly, I had an opportunity that we literally just closed that they were kind of dead set on negotiating pricing wise. And it was, we actually don't see that a lot. Surprisingly, it's really not something we see where somebody just wants us to flat out lower the price. Usually it's, okay, listen, this is a little over budget. How can we, you know, and it's, so we'll adjust the scope. We'll stretch things out so they can pay over more months or what, like there are different ways to get through that challenge. This, this particular client wanted us to just lower the price because they, it's in their, their genes to negotiate. And we basically just said, no, you know, it respectfully. And like, I want to work with this client and we're going to now, but it was just, listen, this is our situation right now. It doesn't make financial sense for me to just flat out lower our price because you know, I not to sound like a jerk, but I've got a whole bunch of companies waiting to start and they're willing to pay the full price. And so here are some other ways maybe we could get through budgetary constraints you have or whatever. And they came back and just said, we understand, we respect that. Let's go. Let's get started. 
perfect. That conversation would have looked a lot different a year ago when we didn't have that sort of demand. So, yeah. Hey there, it's Logan with teamwork.com. I wanted to take a quick timeout from this conversation to ask you just a few questions. Are you an agency leader looking at the year ahead with concerns about AI, inflation, employee turnover, and client retention all at the same time? Are you curious how your peers are managing similar concerns and thinking about the path forward? If so, I've got some good news for you. Teamwork.com recently partnered with Audience Audit to gather responses from over 500 agencies around the globe into a comprehensive research report, the State of Agency Operations 2020. 23 edition. And to make it easy for you as a regular listener of Agency Life, we've linked to it right in the description of this episode. So if you want insights from fellow agency leaders about how they're managing profitability, employee utilization rates, the use of new AI tools, and over-servicing clients, check that link in the description of this episode and access the 2023 State of Agency Operations Report today. All right, let's get back to the rest of the conversation with today's guest. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Joe, it goes back to what you were saying there of sometimes it, when, especially in agency sales, we hear a client that asks for a discount, we think we need to do that in order to get the sale. But it might just be that one, it's kind of in their DNA, like they're the sort of person or the sort of culture within the company that they're always going to ask, right? It doesn't mean that that's the budget. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be willing to, to pay more. But oftentimes, if you don't have that demand, and if you're not willing to communicate about that demand to this prospect, then you're going to default to, well, yeah, we can do that. We, we've done that before. Okay. The other thing that stood out to me as you were talking about there, the potential elimination of the roadmap process it is a very interesting evolution. And I think it ties back to what you were talking about earlier in what you guys have invested in, in your own marketing. And what I mean by that is I think the project as kind of a, a lower commitment to get into the agency, to build some trust, to show your expertise, to get a win, to get that greater commitment for an ongoing retainer to, you know, higher dollar amount that they're signing off on. That's a great strategy as, as you're starting to build. But if you're able to do that now through your marketing, because they're coming in knowing your way of thinking, because you're sharing your point of view, they're already feeling like, I know and trust these guys because I've been attending their, their live events. I've been on their podcast. I'm in their community. So not only do I see that they know what they're talking about, and I know that our way of thinking about marketing is going to align with this agency, but I honestly feel like I trust them and I've gotten more value. So I don't need to do this kind of one step, two step to get into a committed relationship. Like they're coming to you and saying, Hey, give me the ring, right? We've already been through the dating phase through your marketing. And so I think that's really interesting to call out there, man. Yeah. I mean, if you, if we talk three months from now, I'll have an answer for you about where we, where we went on that route because we're exploring it. But I, I, <laughs> I, I agree. And a lot of what we do in that roadmap will remain part of the process. I mean, we're going to do deep discovery with our clients. We're going to make sure we have a plan laid out and a, and an action plan. And we know, you know, what budget's going to be required and all that. But if I don't have to separate that out and just sell that first, I could just bake it into the beginning of the bigger engagement because people are ready to buy the bigger engagement. It's just going to be easier for easier for everybody and kind of, you know, just less question marks in our sales funnel too about what's going to be there two, three months down the road. 
Absolutely, man. Well, a couple of questions before we get to our final segments that we always do here on Agency Life Show. You know, you've mentioned to me before about two members of your team, your director of operations who really keeps things humming and, and your co-founder who really manages the people side of the business. You know, I'm not going to ask you to completely speak for them, but I'm sure the three of you have really been putting your heads together around this problem lately and looking at how do we manage the forecast with, you know, getting that into the the hands of the people who are going to deliver? How do we optimize that experience, not only for the client and through our, for our sales conversations, but how do we maybe change what we do? What have been some of the things that have helped you look at that with, with those guys in managing the delivery and the people side of the business as you solve this? Again, we could say it a million times, good problem to have, but it's still a problem that you need to solve. What mm-hmm. have those conversations been like? And what have maybe they been trying in order to solve this? You know, we've a lot of these conversations have happened among our collective leadership team. That is who, you know, we meet every Tuesday morning and our, our, you know, using EOS terms, our L10 meetings, which are 90 minute meetings where most of the time spent problem solving. And this has been one of the big challenges is what we were just are sort of referring to as managed growth, right? How do we continue to grow in a way that is going to avoid growing too fast and burning people out, et cetera. And so, you know, we having people with different areas of expertise is is pretty huge that are you know leading this company like my business partner john pretty much runs heads up everything related to people and uh, hiring retention culture building etc and so you know from his perspective like his the things he's looking at and the team under him are like what how do we make sure that we are you know, we're not giving people more than they can handle. How do we make sure where we're keeping our, in, our employee net promoter score is not like starting to sink, which is a signal of other big problems going on. So he's got a really good pulse on that, as does Elise, who is, is essentially our head of HR. I'm the revenue guy, right? Like my, my job at this company is marketing and sales for Gorilla. I had all that up at this point. And so, I'm biased towards creating new business opportunities, but I also have an understanding of that. Like I'm aware of the fact that we need to create balance there. Grace, who heads our strategy team and Alex, who heads up project management, like their focus is on, is going to be more on how does the rubber meet the road here? How's our team going to do this work? And like, you know, do we have the processes in place to be able to do that effectively? And how do we manage the capacity of our personnel? And if this client drops off, that doesn't necessarily mean we can just slide this other client in because of, you know, who the people are who would be working on the account. And so there's, there's a lot of nuance to all this. It's not as easy as just one client out, one client in and, you know, so I don't know, I'm kind of going in a bunch of places there, but really it's, I think, having somebody who owns different accountabilities at the company and having really good dialogue, it can be a tough balance. But, you know, I had a session with our, our two project managers, Alex and the woman who works with him on our team, just yesterday to kind of look at the next four to five months. And we expect a little bit of churn from these clients here. And so we need to be able to replace them and who's going to be the personnel that's going to be working on those. But we're trying to grow plus one client per month, too. And so, you know, kind of taking this thing that's just theory about our our, our growth in the month ahead and saying, like, how is that actually going to play out on paper? Who's going to be working on those counts? Can we make sure these people have enough warning that, like, this is probably going to get layered onto your plate by, you know, December or January? And, you know, what do we have to do to 
make sure we can free up your capacity to get that started. So I don't know. It's, it's tough to get too specific here, but no, I think that's good. And it does echo something like we went deep on capacity management several weeks back with Amber Chemist, COO at Instrumental Group, very large, uh, elite. HubSpot partner and a great agency. And she mentioned kind of these three things that help her triangulate capacity management, not necessarily specific to new client onboarding, but also just the existing client base. And she mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, you've got your time tracking if you're doing that in a tool like teamwork.com or, or another. You've got looking at revenue managed per employee. But the third one she brought up is actually what you just hit on there is asking your people, how are you feeling right now? You know, you're here and having those conversations of, hey, you've got two more clients than you did this time last year. We think that kind of balances out because this one's a little bit more demanding. This one is a little bit less work, that and that. But we don't want to assume, how are you feeling about that? And so I thought that, you know, that third piece to the puzzle that you called out here and she brought up in that episode, we'll link to that in the, the show notes if you want to go deeper on that and get some really tactical stuff from an operations leader down in the show notes below. But I think that you're actually on the same page with, you know, an ops leader who thinks about the people really well, like Amber does. And I think you guys are doing a, a great job of it at Gorilla. And the other thing that you called out there, I think is worthwhile is, If you are going through this phase where you're trying to figure out how do we manage growth, keeping an eye on your ENPS score. And if you're not doing that, maybe it's time to implement that so that you can track it. So I think those are some very tactical things, Joe. Anything else that I didn't ask you on this that you wish I would have or anything else you want to call out that your team's been talking about as you try to solve this? I'll say it one more time. Good problem to have. Yeah. I mean, one build I would just make on what you just touched on, that idea of, you know, keeping an active pulse on how your people are feeling. You know, the there's your capacity numbers will tell you one thing and the way people feel can be completely different. And it may be because you got bad data. It may just because people aren't good at time tracking. I mean, that's, that's a pretty common thing, but there's a tool that we've been using for a few years now that I would recommend to any agency owner or leader called Office Vibe. And it it's a tool that sort of drips out questions in a variety of categories a few times a week to your employees to get a pulse on health. And uh, some of them are just, you know, you, you click a number, right? Like employee health, uh, how you feel about your immediate manager and your relationship with that person, your alignment with the direction of the company. I mean, there's a wide variety of categories, but these questions questions just get dripped up bit by bit. Nothing takes more than, you know, 30 seconds to answer. And it just builds data in all these different categories. And it's been such a great tool for us to see, to get signals before the problems become real problems. And there's open dialogue in there. You can, you can anonymously comment on things and we can reply to those. And we don't know exactly who we're talking to, but it gives people a, a place to like voice concerns and not feel like the pressure's on them. So we find that kind of thing to be very important, like collecting feedback through the words of our team to help us, you know, just kind of find this balance. Yeah, I think it is a balance because like you said, probably, you know, four or five minutes ago, it's not like, you know, you're a company as an agency that ships physical products or a SaaS company that just 
turns on and off licenses. I'm simplifying it, obviously, but Mm -hmm. it goes back to that line that I I say so often in an agency, the people are the product. So there's more nuances to it. And there are unique challenges to agency life that other sorts of businesses for good and bad don't have to deal with. And so I think that that's a good call out there. We'll link to that Office 5 tool. That's a really good shout, Joe, in the description if you want to check that out based on Joe's recommendation. I think the other thing that ties back to one thing that, that you mentioned, you guys run on EO. If you're an agency listening to this and you're not familiar with EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, if you're not ready to kind of change the DNA of your organization and hop onto a a whole new model of of running, it is worth it, but it is some work to make that transition. One thing I would recommend is what Joe and his team are doing with the level 10 meeting. That can be something that you can adopt even if you're not totally running on EOS. We'll link to a video that I've shared with a number of agency owners of what is this, uh, what they call level 10 meeting. And it comes from this idea that at the end of the meeting, you rate it. And not only does it help you have better meetings, it helps you set the agenda with this format of the core of it is putting things on an issues list, which to your point, Joe, Office 5 and other things can help you collect those from your team so that they don't yeah. fester, they don't get worse. A, a little thing doesn't become a hornet's nest that you've really got to uh, solve for once it gets a lot worse. We actually have a tool here at teamwork.com called Instant Agency Tools if uh, that allows you to run a level 10 meeting and push the to-dos that come out of those issues from the meeting right into the project management system. So we'll link to those in the show notes. Hopefully we've given you some tactical things to to think about, not only where we started with Joe on the marketing side and the things that you guys have done that have led to needing to manage that growth, but also some tools if you find yourself similarly needing to manage the growth right now. So I just want to give a shout out to a couple of those things. And as we round it out, Joe, we're going to hit you with our fast five. You're a Mm -hmm. uh, prolific podcaster. So I didn't give you these as fair warning. Some guests we do, but we're going to go off the cuff and then we're going to give you a chance to give someone a shout out who's impacted your agency life. So for now, you ready to jump into the fast five as we wrap up today, my friend? Let's do it. All right. If someone gave you $10,000 a month, Joe, to better run the agency right now, Mm. no strings attached, what would you do with that extra budget if you had it today? I would hire a marketing director. Awesome. That was a very common thing as we asked this exact question to dozens of agencies at Inbound just a few weeks back. So you're not alone in that one. All right. Number two, what are some of your all-time favorite books that have helped you as an agency founder and leader, Joe? Mm-hmm. They Ask You Answer by Marcus Sheridan, probably my my all-time favorite uh, business book. It just helped helped put it all in perspective. Like it's about helping understanding what your audience cares about and being the best resource for them. I mean that that to me is like what embodies everything that we do. So that one that one's got to be number one on the list. I know you you and I both know James Carberry well. You knew you better than me, but I, I loved his book Content Based Networking. Probably one of the more recent influential books that pushed me over the edge and made me say, okay, I got to stop talking about starting a podcast and just start the dang podcast and never look back and one of the best decisions I ever made. So I'll leave it at those two for now. Yeah. And on show number three now, which I just freaking love, man. All right. Number three, Joe, what's one mistake you've made in running your agency that you're never going to forget? Yeah. Well, there's, there's plenty, certainly. I think probably it would be the resistance to specialize until when we did. I mean, we, it's been 10 or 12 years, right? But like, since we really dialed in, but had we done it three, four years later, we'd just be that much further along. You know, once we decided to own manufacturing, everything changed. 
yeah, goes back to that part of the conversation we were mentioning earlier. So I think that that's totally fair. All right. Two more and they're two sides to the same coin, Joe. Number four, what's the hardest part about agency life in your opinion? Mm. Oh, man, the hardest part about agency life. I think it's, you know, as an, as an owner, my perspective is probably a little different than if I were an employee of my company, but, and this is true for probably any business owner, but it's, it's a roller coaster, man. It's just, there's, you know, the, the highs are high and the lows are low. And ultimately it all comes, it's all, all down to me. It, it falls on me and John, my business partner, like we're responsible in the end. And so it, it's maybe the, well, maybe this answers your next question if I, you know, see the foreshadowing here, but it's, it's uh, the, number five. What is the best part? <laughs> yeah. You nailed it, my friend. Yeah. I mean, I, the best part really though, is it's so fun to build something and to watch. I mean, it's been, I can't even tell you how rewarding it's been to watch a leadership team and a layer under me and John take shape over the last few years. You know, pre-pandemic, we were 16 people. Now we're pushing 30. And that's a completely different type of company to run because now we've got a whole layer of senior people. Two of them, three of them have been with us for seven years. Two of them started as interns and other directors and the highest ranking people at our company. And like watching the growth of, of those people and watching them elevate their, you know, their skills and their their position as as experts in the space is it's really cool like sometimes you stop and think like holy cow like i heard that person i heard that person is an intern when they were like working part-time in college and now they're freaking running the company so i think that's that's maybe the funnest thing is just watch the evolution take shape and especially watch people kind of grow and evolve yeah, uh, that's so good, man. All right. We want to do, as we do on every episode here of Agency Life, Joe, give you a chance to give someone a shout out who's impacted your agency life. Could be a coworker, a teammate, a mentor, a virtual mentor, whoever you want to give a shout out to today. Mm, yeah, I could probably come up with a better answer if I really thought about it, but I'm going to name a name that probably a lot of people know, and that's David Baker, agency advisor who I've been following, thankfully, for well over a decade and has probably spit out just some of the most essential nuggets that I think an agency owner needs to understand and has helped to help like formulate our, our um, approach to being an expert and staying focused on on, you know, where we are really, really can be experts and, and differentiate ourselves. So that's just really been, you know, an essential piece of the fabric of this agency is mm-hmm. owning the manufacturing sector. And I think we ultimately got that from him well yeah. over a decade ago. Yeah. As I've heard people, I think rightfully refer to him as the expert on being an expert. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his latest book is so good. I've been talking with people about that. It came up on our agency life webinar just last week. It just flowed right into the conversation of his just consistently delivering great advice on this concept of how you position yourself as the expert, because as it ties into this conversation today, and I think it's a good place to, to wrap, it allows you to get into these places where you need to manage growth because you've positioned yourself as the expert. So whether you're finding yourself in feast or famine right now, I'd highly recommend following David C. Baker, as Joe recommends here. We'll link to his latest book down in the show notes as well. So we're going to have lots of resources in the episode description on this one. Last thing, Joe, if anybody listening to this is a fellow agency owner, they're living agency life in some form or fashion, they want to reach out and connect with you and your team as peers. What's the best way for them to do that, man? Yeah, I'd, I'd look us up on LinkedIn. 
LinkedIn, Gorilla76, and I've got um, you know a very active team in in, in that space. Um, you can find me, Joe Sullivan. I'm probably one of ten thousand Joe Sullivans on LinkedIn. But if you pair that with Gorilla76, you'll find me. So, um, but yeah, I'd go there. Anybody's welcome to to DM me and reach out. Happy to share whatever I can. So good, man. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. As always, every time I chat with you, it was a good one and glad we recorded this one as well. Thanks so much for being our guest on the Agency Life Show. My pleasure and likewise. You've been listening to Agency Life, and we hope you've been enjoying each and every episode. If so, you've probably got a friend who'd find the show valuable as well. Sharing a podcast with someone in your network is an easy way to add value and show someone that you're thinking about them. Somebody probably came to mind for you just now. Go ahead, shoot them a text with something like, hey, I've been listening to Agency Life, and I think you'd like this episode I was just listening to. They'll probably really appreciate it, and hey, we will too. And if you're looking for even more content to support your agency life journey, check out teamwork.com slash agency life. There you can search through past episodes, get access to the agency life newsletter and find additional video content to support and inspire you as you continue on this crazy roller coaster ride that is agency life.